Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Welcome to Haunted Road, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. Listener discretion is advised. Hey friends, particularly those near California and Arizona, I am heading your way very soon and I don't make it out that way very often. My Life with the Afterlife speaking tour is making stops at the Crest Theater in Sacramento on September 14th, the Rialto Theater in Tucson, Arizona on September 15th, the Talking Stick Resort in Scottsdale, Arizona on September 16th, and the Balboa Theater in San Diego on September 17th. So tickets can be found at the venue's websites and I hope to see you there.
In 2014, while filming for a show called Ghost Hunters, that if you didn't know, I spent seven seasons on, I had what stands to this day as being the strangest experience I've ever had in a theater. Adam Barry and I had drawn the short straw when it came to investigating a very particular claim at a theater we were filming at. You see, the claim was that every night at 3 a.m., a figure could be seen high up in the balcony. You had to be on the stage to see it, but if you saw it, this figure would wave at you. B.S. we all laughed, but we had to check this out because the facility was adamant. So, as the rest of the team packed up and left for the night, Adam and I stayed behind to wait for 3 a.m. Again, the short straw. We, along with a lone camera operator and producer, perched on the stage and waited. As the clock ticked three, we peered up in the darkness. We called out, hello? Nothing. We scanned the seats, scanned the railings, and then we saw it, not in the balcony, but standing in one of the doorways at the back of the balcony where people would enter to take their seats. A white figure drifting in and out of focus. Hello, we called. Who was up there? But we knew no one was there. We'd personally watched everyone leave. Plus, this didn't look like a solid person. So we looked at each other and looked back up in the balcony and we waved. And I kid you not, that odd white figure lifted what I assumed to be its arm and started waving back. And then it just stood there and waved and waved and did not stop waving. This strange, slow wave that to this day sends chills down my spine. We tried desperately to capture what we were seeing on camera, but with how far away it was, it was nearly impossible. Our camera operator witnessing this as well also tried. At some point, we ran up to the balcony to the very spot where this figure was, but as you can imagine, no one was there. So, you'll just have to take my word for it. You'll also have to take my word that theaters can be crazy haunted. So let's visit one with some wild history attached to it, and of course, lots of ghosts. We're headed to the Paramount Theater in Asbury Park, New Jersey. I'm Amy Bruni, and this is Haunted Road. Early in the morning on September 8, 1934, while the ship was churning through an intense storm on its way to New York, flames shot through the walls of the SS Morrow Castle. The blaze destroyed the electrical work and disabled the communication system, leaving the luxury liner dead in the water, unable to call for help. By the time the blaze had calmed, approximately 137 people had perished, many while asleep in their beds. But from the shore in Asbury Park, New Jersey, people knew what was happening aboard the SS Morrow Castle. They stood on the beaches, watching the ship burn, powerless to help the people aboard until their bodies washed up on shore. In the months that followed, tourists flooded the convention hall and the attached Paramount Theater, paying 25 cents apiece to see the charred remains of the ship, which washed ashore next to the buildings. Some looted the cabins of the wealthy who had been aboard, Others speculated about the cause of the disastrous fire, which was later determined to be arson, saying it was an inside job by the government or enemies of the United States. The tragedy left its mark on the community, and some say filled the theater with the souls of those who perished and who cannot find rest. But it wasn't the first time that stretch of coastline had seen a tragedy on such a grand scale. 
A century earlier, another ship burned, killing more than 200 people aboard, just off the land where the Paramount Theater sits today. Is it any wonder the building is full of ghosts? Founded in 1871 on the northern shores of New Jersey, Asbury Park quickly developed into a resort town. People sunned themselves on the town's beaches, strolled the boardwalk, and by night danced in its dance halls. As Ray Gallagher wrote in his History of Asbury Park, by the early 20th century, Asbury Park cemented itself as New Jersey's premier tourist destination. The city decided it needed a large gathering place for visitors which would attract even bigger crowds and drive the growing tourism industry. That place would be the beachfront complex housing the Asbury Park Convention Center and the attached Paramount Theater, which were first planned in 1916 but didn't secure funding until a decade later. According to the U.S. Department of the Interior, the plan to build a convention center in Asbury Park was steeped in controversy from the start. On the one hand, there were those who believed that the building was necessary for Asbury Park to meet the demands of tourists. On the other hand, there was an equally vociferous group who maintained that the increased public financial burden would be suicidal. The complex was designed to accommodate a lot of people. 3,400 in the convention center and just across the arcade connecting the buildings, 1,600 in the theater. They were designed by the same architects who envisioned Manhattan's Grand Central Station in the eclectic style popular in the day, with seashells and nautical motifs decorating the facades of the buildings. Inside the convention center is a massive 700 pipe organ built into the walls themselves, so the instrument is actually part of the architecture. The Department of the Interior describes the theater's decor as consisting of offset concentric light panels of amber cathedral glass interspersed with reinforced plaster ornamentation of floral character and female nudes and perforated ornamentation for ventilation. When it first opened its doors on New Year's Day 1930, the first movie the theater showed was Howard Hughes's Wings. Not long after, people filled those seats to watch music legends like Benny Goodman and Duke Ellington perform. Much later, Asbury Park's biggest claim to fame would be launching Bruce Springsteen's career. He was born just a few miles away in Long Branch. While Asbury Park endured a fire in 1917 that destroyed four blocks of the city, the burning of the USS Morrow Castle was a tragedy on an enormous scale. It brought national attention to the theater and convention center when news of the fire broke. As it was happening, though, the ship's burning was more of a macabre spectacle, with crowds gathering to watch the conflagration as it slowly inched its way to shore, nearly hitting the convention center before making a turn and breaching by the theater instead. Maybe it was because entertainment was hard to come by in the middle of the Great Depression when the Morrow Castle burned. Maybe it's because many of the people living in the small seaside city had never before seen a luxury liner which broke speed records when it launched and made weekly voyages for wealthy passengers between New York and Havana. But the event was absolutely a spectacle that brought people in droves. Spectators created what Gordon Thomas and Max Morgan Witz called an almost carnival atmosphere, where vendors of hot dogs, soft drinks, and coffee did brisk business. It took a whole day for the Morrow Castle to drift ashore. The ship continued to smolder for days, with explosions hampering efforts to search for potential survivors on board. According to author Eric Larson, who wrote about the Morrow Castle disaster, the remains became a major tourist attraction, with ordinary people driving to the city from all over the tri-state area to pose for macabre photos in front of the ship. 
In fact, the Asbury Park City Council proposed keeping the ship there as a permanent tourist attraction, only to reverse course when the idea was condemned as gruesome. Official records say that 550 people were on board the ship when it burned, but some numbers, taking into account Cuban refugee children on their way to America, place the count as high as 620 people. Nearly 140 of them died, many charred beyond identification. One survivor, Cuban national Rene Mendez Capote, told the press, I am sure most of the passengers burned to death while they slept. There was no warning. I am alive only by luck accident, or perhaps through some higher power that watched over me. A contemporary newsreel referred to it as a terrible tragedy of the sea equaled only by those of the Titanic and Lusitania. Footage from the reel shows the ship still at sea with smoke streaming from the vessel and passengers visible in the water, as well as locals pulling victims out of the surf on the Asbury Park beach. Some claim that the Paramount was used as a makeshift morgue for victims of the fire, but that claim is hard to substantiate. The majority of unclaimed bodies were moved to a temporary morgue set up at the National Guard Station Camp Moor down the coast in Seagirt. The legend may come from a fishing boat called the Paramount, which was involved in picking up survivors and bodies during the wreck. Whether or not the theater was used as a morgue, it was definitely involved in the tragedy. Rescuers made early attempts to reach the ship's burned-out wreckage from the building. According to a 1934 news article in the Evening Courier, members of the Coast Guard stood on the promenade of the convention hall and using a Lyle gun, fired a line aboard and a breeches buoy was rigged up. At least one body was brought back across from the Morro Castle via this line, although what happened to it after that is unclear. As the article described, one body was taken off the Morro Castle. Two had been found on the ship, and there was no telling how many more were burned to death in their cabins when the searing flames swept through the liner. The body was hoisted ashore by the breeches buoy. It was burned beyond recognition, but it was believed that of a man. The inspection party found another body, but could not get to it because of the heat. Others, including journalists, paid $5 for use of this breeches buoy to access the ship, with an extra charge to rent a gas mask or a flashlight. At least one man used this opportunity to loot the ship of deceased passengers' personal items, including diamonds belonging to a Miss Catherine Cochran, whose body still lay in her suite alongside her jewels. The convention center turned the Morrow Castle into a money-making endeavor. According to a contemporary account from the Evening Courier, the center's management threw the place open to the public at 25 cents admission. From the balconies of the hall, a particularly good view could be obtained. A sign in front of the hall read, 25 cents to see the SS Morrow Castle, benefit of the families who died. It's estimated that in the six months the boat was on the beach, over 100,000 people came to see it. There was, though, some good news that came from the tragedy. According to the Asbury Park Historical Society, the devastating fire aboard the Morrow Castle was a catalyst for improved shipboard fire safety. Today, the use of fire-retardant materials, automatic fire doors, and ship-wide fire alarms is a direct result of the Morrow Castle disaster. The incident also led to greater attention being placed on fire drills and lifeboat procedures. Because of all the increased tourism, the theater saw a boost in attendance. With twice as many people turning out for shows like Italian boxer Primo Carnera's sparring demonstrations, it's likely that the Paramount even showed one of the various newsreels made of the Morrow Castle, some footage of which was facilitated by the breaches buoy from the convention hall. 
Somehow, it was not the first shipwreck to beach itself in that spot. In 1854, the New Era was sailing from Bremen to New York when it ran aground and sank close to where the convention hall now stands. Over 200 people, mostly emigrants from Germany, died in the tragedy, which helped spur the creation of what is now the U.S. Coast Guard. Because the ship was the final resting place of many people, to this day, we still don't know the exact number, and because it spent so long on the beach next to the complex, many believe that the ghosts of the Morrow Castle's dead still haunt the area around the convention hall and Paramount Theater. One investigator claims to have found an infant's footprint in the dust at the back of the theater, and people report feeling cold spots throughout the complex. A light bulb once crashed to the floor for no apparent reason, and lights sometimes turn themselves on and off. There are many accounts of shadow figures in the space, especially on the balconies. If you've seen the Paramount Theater episode of Kindred Spirits, you know that Adam and I spotted many of those shadow figures while we were there investigating, which also coincidentally happened to be on the 85th anniversary of the Morrow Castle disaster. According to Patricia Heyer's book, Haunted Jersey Shore, there are testimonies of unexplained sounds such as voices, laughter, crying, and even screaming in the space. She also wrote that audience members claim to have been admonished by a peculiar gray shadow if they do not pay attention during a performance. Overnight security guards have claimed to hear the convention's hall pipe organ playing. One insists that he once saw a shadow figure in old-fashioned clothing playing the organ. There are also claims that two young women, sometimes identified as cabaret showgirls, were burned to death in a dressing room in the theater. I personally investigated this claim and found there had been a fire near the dressing room area, evidence of which is very apparent, but it actually happened in the 1980s, and the fire itself was contained to one room, a storage room, not the dressing rooms, apparently started by a peanut roasting machine that had been stored there. The extensive damage to the adjoining hallway and former dressing room area is actually smoke and water damage incurred while fighting that fire and when sprinkler systems were triggered. No one perished in this fire. All of this information was verified by the local fire department. They even came out to look at the damage and explained to me personally how it happened. It pays to be a stubborn researcher. With a place with as much fraught history as the Paramount, though, it's hard to separate fact from myth. But I can tell you from personal experience that the place is very haunted. Up next, we have Kathy Kelly joining us. She is an Asbury Park paranormal investigator and historical researcher who was the one who brought the Paramount to my attention. She's been investigating there for years and has many stories to share. So that is coming up after the break. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. So I am currently joined by Kathy Kelly, who is a paranormal investigator, a historical researcher, and also the proprietor of Paranormal Books and Curiosities in Asbury Park, New Jersey, which I highly recommend a visit to. So thanks for joining us, Kathy. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Of course. Now, you are the one who brought the Paramount to Kindred Spirits. Like You had investigated it many times, and you thought it would make a great case for us, which it did. It turned out to be one of the most interesting we've done. And lots of paranormal activity, which is not necessarily rare in theaters. I find theaters to be exceptionally haunted. So can you just kind of tell me like how you started to investigate at the Paramount and how you found out about the haunts going on there? Sure. Well, the Paramount, obviously, you know, this is one of these grand old theaters and it's from the very early part of the 20th century. And, you know, it's one of those places that as soon as you walk in, kind of the weight of history settles around you and you just, you just feel something. And in 2007, I had been to the theater several times, but I was actually invited to come and investigate with a couple of local investigators, kind of casual local investigators. And they had been working with some of the guys that actually took care of the place. Um, And in 2007, the Paramount was in a, a much more advanced state of disrepair than it is right now. So it had been, it had never been completely vacant, but it had been quiet for for a very, very long time. And when we went in, I'm kind of a skeptical investigator, you know, and when we went in, I was tagging along in this investigation and I had one of the most, I would say, profound experiences that I've ever had as an investigator. And it was probably the primary reason why I ended up opening Paranormal Books and Curiosities in Asbury Park was because of that building. That's so interesting. So now we have to know what was the experience? So we were up in the back hallway, which I'm sure you remember from your investigation. There's a point where you have kind of the modern section of the building. And then you have this section that looks like it was in a fire and it's burnt out. And there's not a whole lot in there that's modern, right? It's kind of a dark area. And there's this long hallway. And this is where people had reported a lot of activity. And I was there and I was right at this doorway where people had claimed to see a man standing and that he was kind of protective and and kind of aggressive, you know, or aggressively defensive of that particular area. And I was standing there and I wasn't really feeling anything, but there was a light bulb on this little shelf that was right behind the doorway. And the doorway was open and we were standing there and the investigators that I was with were, well, they were trying to do EVP, but they were provoking, not really negatively, but a little bit aggressively, you know, kind of like prove you're here and, you know, nobody believes you're here, that kind of a thing. And um, I would say the shelf was about six feet behind us. And there were probably about eight people and it was four and four. So, So we had created this little alleyway kind of. And the lead investigator was getting more and more aggressive. And you could feel the kind of the energy in the space just getting tighter and tighter and tighter, almost like you're like, well, something's going to happen. And all of a sudden that light bulb came off of the shelf 
and just went about 15 feet between us and ended up smashing on the wall on the other side of the eight of us. And for the life of me, I cannot figure out how that could happen in a non-paranormal way. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, I just, I just can't. And I just remember that moment being like, I don't know what caused it. You know, I don't know if it was us, if it was our energy, if it was the energy of the space, but I just remember at that moment saying, oh my God, there is something to this. You know, like as investigators, you're always looking for that aha moment. And I think that was one of the biggest aha moments for me. And there was one of the guys that worked in the building was there. Jason, you, you, you know, Jason. Oh yeah. He was there and he looked at me and he smirked. <laughs> we'd had many conversations where I was like, mm-hmm, it's probably that, but it could be this. And I was always very dismissive of it. And he just looked at me like, see, and, <laughs> and I, and honestly I did. I, I saw that moment. It wasn't frightening. You know, I didn't feel like it was aggressive or like, but it was startling and it was dramatic. And I've investigated there many, many times and we've always gotten some interesting things, but never anything quite as dramatic as that. But that was enough for me to say, I don't necessarily know what's going on in this building, but something is. You know, it's funny because there's two types of people. There are the people who, when that would happen, they would book it on out of there and never return. And then there are the people that are like, huh, my interest is peaked. That was curious. That was very strange. Had that light bulb just flew 15 feet and smashed against the wall. I feel like there's something to this. Yeah, no, I love that. And I do find that many investigators have that kind of aha moment. And then I also feel like the location where they have them kind of becomes near and dear to them, you know, and I I think that's really pertinent when you talk about the Paramount, because we've had many conversations about it over the years, and just all of the wild things that happen there. And kind of like I touched on earlier, there's something about theaters. And obviously, the history of the Paramount is wild. But there is even without that history, there are many theaters that seem to have their ghosts and, and not necessarily connected to a death or a tragedy. Just I mean, I personally believe it has a lot to do with the energy of theaters. And because there's not really much that happens in a theater that isn't high energy. That's the point of every performance is to reach the person in the very back of the room. That's my thought anyway, on why they're haunted. I totally agree. I also think that when people are singing and people are laughing and people are doing these things, it's called raising your spirits for a reason, Mm -hmm. right? Right. So it's like, it's elevating and maybe there's a physiological component to this. And I'm sure there is with the release of endorphins and all of that. But I do think that there's a lightening of your spirit when you're in the theater and and when people are performing and they're giving their all, but the audience is so receptive to that. And I always think of theaters as, as being like a battery where you have these high emotional, high energy moments, and it just kind of affords whatever might be around a lot of energy to attach itself to and to use, you know, and there's a reason why they call it a ghost light. Mm -hmm. Um, There's lots of fun stories like that, but I agree. I've always found theaters to be, for some reason, I think we're touching on probably why to be really active. And that's really cool. Now, do you, if somebody's going to investigate the Paramount or visiting the Paramount, what would you say is the most prevalent type of activity they could encounter there? So to me, I think there's like the big things that people have heard about, Everybody always wants to go to that hallway because they've heard this story, but that's not where I've always felt the most experiences or where I think there's the most activity. I would say a real sense of presence, like to be very aware that 
you're not necessarily going to see something. You're not necessarily going to hear something, although you could. In this particular place, you definitely could. But to be very aware of a sense of someone around you. I do think that if you're on that stage and you're looking out into the, and you've been on that stage, it's, it's a big old vaudevillian stage. Like it is a really cool building. You can see movement. You, you really could see movement. And I know that everybody that works there talks about hearing things. But for me, it was always just the sense that there's someone around you. And I know for a lot of people, that doesn't seem like enough. But for when you've been investigating long enough, you don't really care that much about what you capture on your equipment. It's really more about what you experience in the space. And to me, there's just always in different places, you can really feel presences. Right. I definitely got that vibe there, especially up on the stage. I remember someone telling us a wild experience there about how they literally saw like a shadow envelop like half the stage and then go up and over them. And that was something that I hadn't really heard before. <laughs> and there seems to be a lot of shadow activity there that doesn't necessarily always look human in shape. Like we saw something in the, the seats at one point and actually captured something on video up in the seats. Like it looked like almost the size of a child, but there wasn't really like a humanoid shape to it. Have you seen these shadow figures? Yeah. In fact, I remember I've seen it a couple of times and uh, I had done an investigation one time with someone who had one of the larger FLIR thermal cams and we were up on the stage and we were just kind of doing a quick pass through of all of the seats, right? A, a quick kind of, you know, let's just get a shot of everything. And there was one seat about halfway up that had dropped down and you could see a warm you know, the, the seat was warmer than all of the others, as, as if someone had just gotten up and left. That is something where you have to look at it and you say, let's see if there's like some kind of heating element underneath. Let's see. But there wasn't. It just it really was one of those things where it's just that is just very strange and it shouldn't have happened. But while we were standing there, I remember looking out at the entire space and it gets very dark in there, but there's always a little bit of light, right? Because they have those beautiful stained glass windows and stuff like that. And there's always a little bit of ambient light that comes through and your eyes kind of acclimate to it. And I remember seeing what looked like a dark blob and it was up in the balcony and it looked like it ran up the stairs and out a door. But the only door up there actually goes to the projection booth. And it's not an easy thing. It's locked and you go to the projection booth and you have to go up a catwalk and, and it's, it's not a simple thing. But we all ran up to follow it because we all saw it. And when we got up there, we realized that the door was locked and there was no place for this, whatever this was to have gone. Um, and that's something that I physically saw myself. But I will tell you, you know, I've been in Asbury Park now for 15 years and the Paramount has hosted some pretty big bands. And I would say for like the first 10 years I was in Asbury Park, there wasn't a whole lot to do. So they would all eventually get down to paranormal, you know, they're wandering through town. And I can tell you that I've gotten probably, I don't know, two or three dozen reports from people who perform there and who are in the green room and who spend time there doing rehearsals, who've come in and just said, this place is haunted, right? Because this is what happened to me. And they invariably talk about shadow figures in the audience that they see when they're rehearsing. It's so funny because I think about that sometimes about how 
A lot of us have touched on the idea that maybe spirits sometimes just kind of go about their business in the world, and we might not even know that they are not a live person, you know? And it makes me wonder if sometimes that anonymous nature applies in a theater, especially where they can sit in kind of the the seats amongst the living and just enjoy a show. And then sometimes they might just also want to watch a sound check or two, you know? <laughs> and because they're not limited, they can come and go and they could be attracted to the energy that's being provided by the stage. One of the weird things that happens in the Paramount that I've gotten all the time from people is there seems to be something that likes to mess with one of the bathrooms and the Paramount's an old, old theater. It hasn't been completely renovated yet. So when you go into the ladies room on the first floor, it's a one bathroom bathroom. So there's always a huge line of women, you know, Mm -hmm. waiting to use it. And the lock is literally one of those where you just turn it and it locks. Right. And people report being in the bathroom and having the lock jiggle. And like, as if someone's trying to get in and then they open up the door and they walk out and they see this line of women and they're kind of like, Hey, I was in there. And the women look at them like, yeah, we know. So no one had touched the lock, but from the inside, there was this kind of interaction to kind of spook them. And I do think it's funny because you get this a lot in theaters too, and maybe it's water related. I don't really know, but you do get that kind of where people on the outside are not having that experience, but people on the inside are. And it's just one of those funny things that when you hear someone tell a story one time, you think, okay, that's an interesting story. But when you hear the same story told by dozens of people over many years, and these people don't know each other, then you have to start saying, well, that's actually a real phenomenon. And I don't know the cause of it, but I definitely know what's happening. And in in the Paramount, there's a lot of these little unique experiences that don't seem to be related to each other. There's the thing in in the upstairs dressing room. There's the stuff that you see on the stage. There's the thing that happens in the projection. There's the thing that happens in the bathroom. And it all seems to be happening in the theater, but not related to each other at all. And that's so interesting to me. Like, I always wonder that, like, why is it that in the afterlife, a spirit chooses to jiggle a bathroom (laughs) door lock to scare poor ladies in the restroom, which which is when we feel like the most vulnerable, you know? Exactly, exactly. Especially if you're wearing, you know, like a jumpsuit and you have to take the whole thing off. (laughs) You know, there's a line of women waiting, so you're rushing, you know. That is hysterical. But I mean, I guess maybe if and when I become a ghost, maybe I'll be a little prankster like that. Now, that being said, have you had any EVPs that have come out of the Paramount? And if so, what have they been saying? You know, we've gotten a few EVPs over the course of the years. Some of them have been very strange in that they don't seem to be related to the Paramount at all, but they seem to be related more to kind of like casual life in Asbury Park. We got one where we got someone who said that their name was Josh, you know, in in response to what's your name? My name is Josh. Uh, It actually didn't say my name is Josh. It said Josh. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, what are you doing here? And I'm fishing. And the Paramount is right on the beach and it's actually on where a jetty used to be. We also got, we got music one time, which was nobody heard and it was just kind of recorded. And then we did get something in the projection booth once. It was just a name and the name was Art. But again, nothing that was directly related to the theater itself. Because the theater, it's not anyone's home but it might be something that they were like transitioning through. I mean, that makes sense because the activity 
it's not always super interactive there. It does seem very energy-based and I guess residual in nature, not to undermine what it is because there is a lot of activity there, but it doesn't always seem like it's necessarily aware of you. And I think that sometimes we investigate places so many times, and I'm not saying this about the Paramount per se, but sometimes we investigate places so many times that I, I do feel like spirits kind of detect that energy of like people calling out and reaching out. And so they might come in even though they're not necessarily affiliated with that location. And I think the same thing could be said for theaters, like that energy of a live audience, of people milling about outside. And I think that might attract some sort of spiritual activity on its own. And given where this place is, I mean, it's not in the middle of a city, really. It's right on the ocean. And there is this kind of seasonal component to it, too. I have investigated the Paramount when Asbury Park was an absolute ghost town. Mm -hmm. And I've investigated the Paramount, you know, when it's blown up and been like one of the larger resort towns on the East Coast. And it's different. It's different when there's more energy in the area. I'm a believer that location matters. And I'm a believer that the ocean is a living thing with a lot of energy. And I do think that there's different conductive properties to water and things like that. And I agree. I don't necessarily think that everything that people ascribe what happens in the Paramount to certain historical events. And maybe they're right. I don't know. I don't know that we have enough evidence to actually say that, but It's one of those places where you stand there and you feel the weight of its history. And if you stand there long enough, you're going to see something. I will say, I think most of what happens in the Paramount is residual, but we definitely have seen reactive things as well. I can't think of a theater of that size that is located so close to an ocean. (laughs) You can literally, there's an area on the other side of the Paramount, which is Convention Hall, but they're attached and they're essentially the same building that they actually call the Overlook because it looks a little bit like something from The Shining, but also because it literally hangs over the ocean. In Hurricane Sandy, there was ocean water in the Paramount. That's how close the ocean is to it. And it is a really unique space given its proximity to the ocean and kind of the shifting sands that it's on. And interesting historical things have definitely happened there. Certainly tragedies have happened in the area. And you kind of wonder if maybe people knowing the stories, believing the stories, don't in some way impact kind of the experiences that people have there. Oh, I definitely think that happens. I find Asbury Park so interesting because the first time I went there, we were filming an episode of Ghost Hunters at a local, I think it was like a museum or something. And I can't remember exactly how many years ago that was, but probably close to 15 years ago. And it was a different town than when we recently went back. It has completely come back. Like It's such a dynamic and beautiful place. And I mean, people really rallied to make that happen. It's a really wonderful place to visit. The architecture and kind of the art deco nature of all the buildings in town is just beautiful. And there's not a lot of places that can say that. And so I do think it's so interesting that the theater's energy has kind of changed with the vibe of the town. I love to hear that. So, you know, and I think that you play a big part in that, too. You are such a lover of the town, and I think you should be commended on some of the work you've done there. Thank you very much. So, okay, how can people find Kathy Kelly? Obviously, they should go to your store, but then you also do some events and things. And Adam and I love you. We love the research you do. We love how thorough you are. We love, you know, having you be involved in the case on Kindred when we did the Paramount. So shout yourself out. (laughs) 
And thank you. Thanks so much for even thinking of me. But I'm on Instagram as at the Paranormal Museum. We're on Facebook as Paranormal New Jersey. Our website is paranormalbooksnj.com. And we are open to the public and we do lots of different events. And we've been around for 15 years. So we're kind of a mainstay in Asbury Park. Certainly, if you've ever visited Asbury Park and you ask anybody about paranormal, they'll know where we are. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, I think uh, yours was the first Krampus parade I ever attended, (laughs) or Krampus. Um, (laughs) That was really one of the reading of the naughty list. The reading of the naughty list, and it was so so locals can actually. I think they could like actually put in their naughty things they did or something, and then oh, it was amazing. That was so much fun. So. Well, I really enjoyed that. I love talking to you as always. Thank you so much for joining and filling us in on the activity at the Paramount Theater. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. It was great talking to you. I've investigated many a theater that didn't seem to have much tragedy attached to them, but remained ridiculously haunted. As Kathy and I discussed, I really do theorize it has to do with the energy of a performance and of an audience, and the emotion and passion of artists and staff. But not many can claim a tragedy like the Paramount, and while it's hard to imagine that not having to do with the haunting of the Paramount, I'm not sure it does. Regardless of my thoughts, the theater remains one very spiritual place, not to mention it's a gorgeous example of the grand theaters of yesterday. I highly recommend a visit. Also, you didn't hear it from me, but there's some pretty incredible ice cream available right outside of it on the boardwalk. I'm Amy Bruni, and this was Haunted Road. Haunted Road is a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Menke. Haunted Road is hosted and written by me, Amy Bruni, Additional research by Taylor Hagerdorn. The show is edited and produced by Rima Elkayali and supervising producer Josh Thane and executive producers Aaron Mankey, Alex Williams, and Matt Frederick. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. 
Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.